are starting a, a new series of studies today, as Rosie said at the top of the service, looking at something called the Apostles' Creed. It's something that I've wanted to do for a while, something I'm super excited about. We'll explain a little bit about that in just a moment, but I'd love us to get our Bibles out and turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, there's plenty of Bibles available at the back if you haven't got one with you and you'd like to follow the reading, uh, or you can have a look on an app or online, James chapter 2. And start reading at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Here's a big question. Can such faith save them? Hmm. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body, without the spirit, is dead, so faith, without deeds, is dead. As the body, without the spirit, is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray together for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that as we draw near to you, you by your promise draw near to us. And so Lord, as we come to these words, these challenging words today, we pray that you would draw near to us and help us to understand what it is that you're wanting to say to us today. And Father, we do not want to be those whose faith is dead, so would you breathe your spirit into us today and breathe life, God, to our faith. Where there is confusion, would you bring clarity? Where there is despair, would you bring hope? Where there is darkness, would you bring light? Where there is lies, would you bring truth? Where there's been discouragement, would you bring encouragement today? And for each and every one of us, would you help us to know you and to know the next step that you'd have us to take. So we pray that by your spirit working among us, that you would use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So there's this thing called the Apostles' Creed. Let's just have a moment of honesty here today. Anybody never heard of, there's no shame at all, anybody never heard of the Apostles' Creed? You're not going to admit it now because you're in church and it's something that you should admit. Other traditions across our uh, Christian family, other styles, uh, know the Apostles' Creed really well. Some of them read it at every baptism service. Others read it at every communion service uh, after a time of, of confession together. Others reserve it for special times of the year when they want to pledge their commitment uh, afresh to God. And it is this ancient creed. It doesn't, we don't think, quite go back to the apostles. Uh, it's so old, we don't really know where it began, but certainly in the first century, we have versions of this Christian faith, this Christian belief, uh, in, a, in a culture where very few people could read or write. The faith was being passed on uh, in this way. So we're going to read uh, this together. Yuri, perhaps you could pop the, the PowerPoint on for me. That'd be great. Uh, so for some of us here today, it might be a while uh, since we've read this. For others, this, this might be the first time uh, that we've read this. But this is a summary of all the apostles' teaching uh, in one place, an attempt to collate it all uh, and put it all together. Uh, Yuri, I've not got any... Ah, I have. Okay, that's great. Right, so perhaps if you're able to and you can see and read well, we could read this together. No, I've got no... Ah, here we go. Let's, let's read. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This is uh, falling asleep this morning. I'm going to have to nod at you, I think, when we need to, to move on, because there's a little bit more to it. Okay, great, let's carry on reading. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Well done. You've now read the Apostles' Creed for the first time. We'll try and read it a few times as we go through this series of, of studies together. Uh, as we go through it together, it might prompt questions for some of us here today. And I just want to throw open an invitation. Small groups are going to be looking uh, at these subjects as well as they meet uh, midweek. And if you're not part of a small group and would value just meeting in someone's home, opening the word together, exploring these questions, please do speak to myself or Rosie. Uh, we'd love to connect you up with it with a small group. So, we believe. I want to start by making three statements this morning there. Three statements that perhaps you would not expect someone to make at the start of a sermon in a church on a Sunday morning. So bear with me. Please don't leave. We haven't locked the door, but please don't leave. Please wait until the end. But here's three things I want you to think about today. We don't believe. We don't believe the Bible. And we don't believe in God. So thanks for coming this morning. It's been great to have you. No, no, please stay where, stay where you are. 
But we've just been singing, haven't we, a version of the Apostles' Creed with passion and excitement, and we've caught something of each other's experience and hope and longing and passion. But do we believe? Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe in God? Yuri, can you move the slides on for me? When I was in college, there was a TV show that we were all absolutely obsessed with. It was called Deal or No Deal by a presenter who is probably the greatest salesman this world has ever seen. It's absolutely incredible the way he could convince people. And if you've not seen the show, I'll give you a quick sort of version of it. So there's 22 contestants on this show. And before the show starts, they all go and choose a red box. Are you with me so far? In that red box, there is an amount of money, a varying scale of money. Some box might have one pence in it, going all the way up to a quarter of a million pounds. Nobody knows how much money is in each box. Are you still with me? One contestant is chosen at random to sit in the middle, and they open a number of boxes as they go along. So whatever is in their boxes, they have not won. So as the show goes on, there's a sort of a count and an elimination to work out how much is left in their box. Are you still with me? At some point in the show, a phone will ring. And this person who rings is called a banker. And he will offer them a amount of money, an amount of money, sorry, an amount of money for the box that's in front of them. But they don't know how much is in the money. So it's always in the box. So it's always a bit of a gamble. It's always a bit of a risk uh, as to do they keep the box, do they sell the box, and the show goes on and on. One of the fascinating things about the show, these same contestants are on it all, all the time until they get the chance to sit in the middle, is that it became known as the theater of dreams. And people began to notice, ah, well, when you won a large amount of money, that was the day that you wore that color sock or that color tie. So if I start wearing those color socks or that color tie, maybe it'll be my turn to win a big amount of money. Or they started doing things like, I don't want to just choose a, a numbered box at random. I'm going to choose my birthday. Or I'm going to choose the date I got married or the date my child was born or some special number. And then there was a process of elimination, and Noel Edmonds, a man who's written a book about cosmic powers and his belief that the universe will give you what it asks for it, used to say to people, before you open your box, you need to really believe that there is a large amount of money in this box. And this poor person in front of an audience would sit there trying to believe that there was a large amount of money uh, in this box. And of course, as the show progressed, it was evidence that it doesn't matter what you believe, the amount of money that's in the box is the amount of money that's in the box. And when you're sat there in that moment, no amount of believing is going to change what's in the box. See, before us today, we have these words, we believe. But we don't just believe. I believe in the power of faith. I believe it's a strong thing. There's huge evidence in our day, isn't there, that if you believe a certain type of medicine is going to make you better, there are instances of the placebo effect where it can start to make you better. But we don't just believe in the power of belief. My brother at the moment is, is helping me with part of my faith. He's my older brother, and he's away on holiday in Florida. And it's really been helping me to develop that part of my heart. Do not envy 
Do you not envy? Do you not envy? They're there in the happiest place on earth, Disney World, apparently. Uh, and one of the things that's happened in Florida, I don't know if people have caught this on, on the news, is that there's been a hurricane out there. And so for at least a day, about a day and a half, in the happiest place on earth, they were stuck in their villa. Now, luckily, this villa had a pool, so they said, oh, we'll be fine, we'll just chill out in the pool. But of course, the pool has got a glass atrium over the top, and so they were unable even to be allowed to, to go into their pool. Now, if you'd asked my brother before he'd gone, do you think there's going to be a hurricane while you're out there? He would have said, well, no, of course not. I wouldn't have booked the holiday if I did. He believed the weather was going to be great without even trying. But he was wrong. It's possible, isn't it, to believe something sincerely and to be sincerely wrong. Belief alone is not what we believe in. I can't think of any person of faith that I've ever met that's come to me and said, well, I just knew that I needed some faith. And so I went out and I got some faith. It wasn't the faith alone. It was the object of that faith, which was important. It's so interesting, isn't it, in our day, we, we talk about things like having a blind faith or having a healthy skepticism. That's a phrase we hear a lot, isn't it? It's important to keep a healthy skepticism. But if skepticism can be healthy, it can also be unhealthy. If faith can be blind, it can also be seeing, and doubt can also be blind or seeing. So the strength in which I believe something does not make it more or less true. It can't be. We have these amazing words from Jesus, don't we, in the Gospels. That faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? It's a trick question because you can't. They can't be seen by the naked eye. So tiny. Sometimes we feel awful about that, don't we? We go through our lives thinking, if only I had more faith, then these mountains that I face, these obstacles, these challenges would move. That's not, I don't think, what Jesus is saying. A minuscule amount of faith in the right thing has got to be more powerful than a mountain of faith in the wrong thing. So we do believe, but we don't just believe in believing in the power of belief. Uh, it's a little bit like a few years ago, I was reading a book by Max Licardo uh, on the power of prayer. Uh, and he writes about people's struggle with prayer, people, the way that people often will, will wrestle with prayer. Uh, and he once wrote this. Our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. The power of prayer is not in how many prayers I pray or how cleverly or how brilliantly I pray. It's in the one I'm praying to. And we do believe, but it's in who we believe that makes all the difference in the world. And as we start this journey together through the Apostles' Creed, I, I think it's important to say that saying this creed will not make you a Christian. Saying it many, many times with confidence and boldness or learning it off by heart will not make you a Christian. It's not the words themselves, but who they lead us to that is important. 
So we believe. But then the question comes, well, what do we believe? I don't know how many people saw this recently, but uh, there was a survey done of clergy here in the UK. And the question was asked of what was called the frontline clergy. I'd love to know who they are. Uh, but the frontline clergy were asked the question, is Britain a Christian nation? Do you see this? And less than a quarter, or around about a quarter, uh, of the priests said, yeah. The rest said, no, it's not. Which for some people might seem like a strange thing because we do have a, a head of state who's linked to the Church of England and all those kind of things. We have bishops that sit in a house of lords. I, I wanted to ask questions about what, what do you mean by a Christian nation? I'm not sure you can have a Christian nation or that we've ever been a Christian nation. But I kind of know where the question is coming from. But we're aware, aren't we, that right now, as, as Keiko said earlier, before she prayed, sometimes we can feel like Admitting that we believe puts us in a minority. Admitting that we believe in God can make us sometimes feel quite vulnerable. I often think to myself, God is a little word, three little letters. Introduce him in certain places, and it can get you into a lot of trouble, get you into a lot of danger. So what do we believe? In the face of some statistics, I've often heard other people kind of counter that with, you know, people might no longer believe in organized religion, but people are spiritual, right? People do believe that there's something else out there, that there's something beyond this life, there's something bigger than me that I can hope in and, and trust in. I'm not sure that what we've just read in the letter of James would support that. You believe in God, he says, great. Even demons do that. So believing in, in something won't help you, won't save you. So how do you know what to believe in? Now, some of us here instantly have got the answer ready. Well, we believe in the Bible. But we don't. We don't just believe in the Bible. Let me give you one quick example of this. How many people here today have been asked to prove that you're a Christian by allowing a snake to bite you? Has that happened to anyone? No? I was reading about this recently. It came up in, in book club. It's not something that I'd heard of, so I went, did what we all do now, just jumped on Google, trusted Google to get me to the right answer. This is apparently a fairly big thing in our world. There are some words that come at the end of Mark's gospel that say that when you are bitten, by poisonous snakes, they will not harm you. So there is a group of people who think, if you want to come to my church and be an apostle or a preacher, before we can allow you to do that, there's a test. We'd like you to get bitten by a snake. They believe the Bible. But if you look at those verses and think about what Jesus meant by them, and the fact that it wasn't long, a few generations, before Christians were thrown into dens of snakes, that these words had a powerful comfort, a powerful encouragement for the church, that even when you face that, I will be with you. doesn't mean go out and look for a snake and say to everyone, look how faithful I am, and then we'll be doing your funeral a few weeks later. But it's easy, isn't it, to take some words and just... We don't read the Bible on our own. 
We read it as part of a family of faith who've studied it and thought about when it was written and why it was written and to who it was written to. Another great example, we want to be a biblical church, right? Well, the Bible tells us this is the New Testament, that we should greet one another with a holy kiss. Original context, in the, in the ancient world, you only kissed people that were higher status to you. And it was an act of submission. Paul says, in this culture, let's be different. Let's have slaves greeting each other equally. Let's have masters greeting each other equally. We don't read it on its own. We read it together. Another verse tells us we should not be wearing gold to church. So there's a donation box at the back if you're wearing gold this morning. Let's be rid of it in Jesus' name. We don't read it on our own. And that's an important thing that we delve deeply into what it means. And we ask, and this is the precious thing, the author of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, is a gift that you can receive. You don't have to open the Bible once without having the author sit next to you and help you to understand it. It's such a gift to us. So we do believe... But we don't just believe. We believe the Bible, but we don't just believe the Bible. We want to delve deeply into what it understands. We want to treat it with respect and come to deeply know what it means. And through that, we're introduced to God. But we don't believe in God. We don't just believe in God. See, believing that there might be something out there won't save you. And I want to say that today to you in love to anybody here today that is clinging on to that. That there is a God who can be known, who longs for you to know him. You can go through your life if you aren't ignoring him or avoiding him or thinking maybe one day I'll get that faith thing sorted. Knowing him is life. It's the only way to live. I love what John writes at the end of his gospel. Where he says, listen, I could have gone on and on and on about this man called Jesus. I could have filled all the libraries of the world with books about him. But these things have written that you might know life in his name. And any theology that does not lead you to life is no theology at all. Any belief about God that does not set your heart on fire is not worth carrying. We do believe, but we don't just believe in a God or, or something. And that's where the Apostles' Creed really helps us. We live in a day and age, don't we, where there are multiple sort of belief systems. And what does it mean in this world right now to be a Christian? What does it mean to say, I follow Jesus? Sometimes I, I read things that people have done and said, and I think doesn't sound like Jesus at all. Just this week, we were chatting with some friends of ours who aren't Christian, been away on holiday, had the misfortune of bumping into a, a group of people who were bombarding them with scriptures and using them to beat them up, really. I thought, I'm, I'm not sure where I saw Jesus do that in the gospel. So what does it mean then to be Christian? What's this kind of the, the litmus test that we can test things against? See, one of the great things about saying we believe is that we can stand on this together. 
The Apostles' Creed is, is a statement that's been accepted by all denominations. And as we read it, we, we read it with brothers and sisters from right across the traditions. I believe in God. Well, who is it that we've come to believe in? See, we can have all kinds of ideas, can't we, about God and what God is and what, what God is like. But God has revealed himself to us. And as we come to know him, we come to realize just how precious that revelation is. He didn't have to do this, but he's revealed himself to us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. One of the first words we read in this creed about who this God is, is Father father creator yes of heaven and earth father that's what i'm talking about when i'm talking about god in the ancient world fatherhood was a unique concept it was the person who was the head of the household the person who was in charge, who made decisions. Sometimes the person who made decisions about what jobs the boys would do and the people the girls would marry had that kind of level of responsibility. But not just the one who was in charge, but the one who operated that authority out of love. There are many ancient traditions and ancient religions that speak about God being a father, but what they're really talking about is kind of being the source, being the creator. What Jesus does is he introduces us to a new concept that we can know God as an intimate father. Some of us here will know the Greek word that Jesus uses, Abba. Real simple noise that any baby can make, Abba, Abba. It's not really any equivalent in the English language. Some people talk about daddy, but... I don't know if that captures both the sense of his authority and the intimacy that we can have. We believe in God, Abba. The one who both knows what is best for my life and longs for what is best for my life. And I'm so aware that for some of us here today, we've not had a wonderful experience of our human earthly father. And that can make it so hard, I know. But I believe that God wants to hold us in that way. As a loving parent, to radiate that sense of security and love into our lives. When we were, um, it feels like a lifetime ago now, but uh, when the, the boys were really young, one of the things that used to make me really nervous was driving in the car with them in car seats in the back. It's about the slowest I've ever driven my whole life. And as I was driving along one day, this bus was in the lane next to me and we were stopped at some traffic lights. Uh, and as we started to go off, this bus pulled in front of me. Now, I'm a nice, calm, quiet, non-violent, non-aggressive kind of person, I promise you. But suddenly, this rage builds up in me. Uh, Amy will tell you, it takes a lot to get me to hit the horn. I couldn't get my hand off it. It was cemented to this thing, beeping away. This guy just, just drove off, didn't care. We came around the corner, came to another set of lights, 
I got out of the car. I had no idea what I was going to do. Got out of the car, started banging on this guy's door. The guy looks totally oblivious at me as to what, what the problem is. I even took out my mobile phone and pretended to take photos. Why I would need a photo of this guy, I've got no idea at all, but I pretended to take photos of him. Would I have done that if I was alone in the car? No. But this fiercely protective love and I mentioned that to you today, not with any sense of pride, a huge sense of embarrassment. But it was evidence of a hugely protective love. And when we understand that that's how God feels about his creation. When I hurt someone, I'm hurting his child. When someone hurts me, they're hurting his child. Father, that's what we're talking about when we talk about God. But he goes on to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. We get the next slide up, please, Yui. His only Son, our Lord. Now, the bulk of the Apostles' Creed, as you would expect from a Christian statement, is all about Christ. I'm really looking forward to going through this together, but I just want to highlight just a few words from this together. Born, suffered, died. I can't find anywhere another statement about God that has the words born, suffered, died. When I'm talking about God, I'm talking about the God who became human who fully entered into the human existence, the human experience. The fact that that word is there is staggering. Suffered. We have a God who knows what it is to suffer. This was entirely unique in the ancient world. I was listening to a song recently by Matt Redman called The Son of Sufferings. And the chorus of it says, blood and tears. How can it be there's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds? We have a God who bleeds. We have a God who weeps. Which means that wherever we're at today, and already as I've been speaking, I'm aware that there may well be people here who've been hurt by people who were meant to protect you maybe hurt by the very church that was called to love you and support you and teach you. We have a God who knows how that feels. A God who knows what it's like to watch his son suffer and die. Jesus who knows what it's like to be rejected. To have people who want to wipe you off the face of the earth. When we talk about God, I'm talking about a God who understands, a God who cares deeply, a God who is not detached from this world's struggles, from what you and I go through. But not only that, he goes on to say, we get the next slide, Yui. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Thank you. It looks exactly the same. We'll see if it works. 
On the third day, he rose again. We have a God of hope. It feels good just to say that. Turn to the person next to you and just say that. We have a God of hope. Can we try it with a bit more confidence? And <laughs> we have a God of hope. And I need to hold on to that. Because sometimes I read the news. This world is crying out for hope. I don't know if you've noticed. We are crying out for someone to give us hope. And there is a place where Jesus was placed, where he was meant to stay. They were so sure of this, they put a stone over it. They sealed it with a royal seal of approval. They guarded it with soldiers. But hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. There is no darkness in which his light cannot shine. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about God. A God who can bring light to darkness, hope to despair, encouragement to the discouraged, life to the dead. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about God. And more than that, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, contrary to popular belief, Jesus does not live in my heart. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for us, waiting for the command of the Father to return, to judge the living and the dead. We have a God of hope. We have a God of justice who will one day put this world to right. Thank God it's not our job to do it, literally. One day he will judge the living and the dead. And this Jesus who suffered, suffered for a reason, so that on that day you would have a hope. See, if we've got to stand before this judge alone, that's a terrifying prospect. But if this judge is our father, and if our defense is his son, who has paid the fine, paid the price for us, then we have a God of hope. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about God. And then it goes on to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. We're not doing this on our own. There are times when it's hard, isn't it, to keep going, to keep believing, to keep loving, to keep forgiving. It's tough. That's why there is a source of light, of life, a flow of power that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And what on earth is God doing right now? He's building his church. He's uniting his people together through the forgiveness of sins. Sin is that disease that runs through my whole system. That means I don't live as I'm meant to. That means I'm disconnected from the life I was made for. But that can be forgiven. The remedy is here for us in the grace of Jesus. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. 
I believe in the forgiveness of other people's sins. I believe that I've been forgiven to forgive others because this is what life in the kingdom is like. Because this act of forgiveness ends this cycle of hurting one another and holding each other at bay and biting back at each other. Forgiveness. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And because of that, the resurrection of this body, this mortal frame that will be free from the effects of sin, will be raised to life, and not just more of the same kind of life that I'm living now, but life everlasting. That is what on earth God is doing right now. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about God. A God of life. A God of hope. A God of justice. A God of grace. We believe. But we don't. Forgive me just one more. We don't just believe. This word creed that we're using to describe the Apostles' Creed comes from an old uh, Latin word. And it means to trust something. We've, we've come to translate it as the word believe, but it's more than that. It means to lean your weight fully onto something. Kind of reminds me of the, the story uh, years ago of um, this guy that was going to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And before he started, he asked the crowd, how many of you believe I can do this? And they're all cheering him on. So then he says, well, who would like to jump on my back and have a piggyback all the way over? And suddenly all this faith just dies down. There's a difference believing that Jesus passed from death to life and clinging on to him, knowing him. I love it when Paul writes those words, I know whom I have believed. I've heard a lot of people tell me they know what they believe, and I'm glad they do. But do you know who you believe? You're leaning on to him. See, the truth is, I do trust, but I worry. I have faith, but I have fear. I do believe, but I feel like that guy who brought his son to Jesus who needs to say, help me with my unbelief. Would you pause for just a moment just to think about where you are right now? And whether there's a step that today you just need to take. Maybe for some of us, that's going to be a, a really small, natural step. I'm just surrendering something more. Maybe for others of us, it's going to be a bigger step, but it's going to mean asking more questions and talking with more people and perhaps reading more. And for others of us, it's going to be a step that we've avoided for a while. For others, maybe it's a new step. But I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, would you move among us? And would you speak to us right now? And Lord God, would you move us on from where we are? I just want to give this opportunity today that if anybody has never said yes to Jesus, said, I want you to be the forgiver of my sin, 
the healer of my past and the hope for my future. Then this moment, this day could be that day. This place could be that place. I'm going to pray a really simple prayer, and if you'd like to, I just want to invite you to personalize this, to repeat it somehow from your heart. And so, Father God, today, I thank you so much that you love me. Despite all that I've done wrong, said wrong, thought wrong. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die, to be the sacrifice to pay for all of my wrong, all of my sin, all of my shame. Thank you that you rose again from the grave, that you offer me life in all of its fullness. Would you now forgive me, redeem me, walk with me? Would you be my Lord, my master? And Holy Spirit, would you equip me to follow you all the days of my life? Father God, for anyone here today who's struggling to find hope, struggling to see how they can trust again, believe again, I pray, Lord, that today might be a point of rendezvous, a point of reconnection. For any of us, Lord, whose faith perhaps has just become a bit vague, a bit fuzzy, Maybe some of us for whom there was a point of connection, a point of passion, but that seems so far away, so far removed from where we are right now. Lord, would you reignite? Would you re-inspire? Would you restore? have each and every one of us, Lord, not just to settle for knowing about you, or even believing things about you, but to trust you, to know you, to trust your power at work in us, Lord, to heal us, to hold us, to help us.